A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sophie Scott. And I'm James Gill. Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone. We'll be chatting with our favourite people. Sharing uplifting news stories. And delivering tips and tricks. To bring balance to your lives. Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. Our guests today, Damon Beasley and Ian Morris. Two absolute all-time titans of of British comedy. As, As someone who was... From the womb, uh, a comedy anorak, uh, what these guys have accomplished is uh, is incredible. They probably don't get the credit they deserve because they're still very much at the, the zenith of their powers. But as I, as I say to Ian, you know, I see him as a, a real John Lloydian figure. You know, if John Lloyd, one of the most celebrated comedy producers of all time, then these guys are also in that same bracket. Damon, as I, again, as I say to him... I sort of live vicariously through Damon because he was a journalist and has now become one of the most successful people. I mean, literally in the history of comedy, when you think about what, uh, what they've both achieved. Ian Morris, again, I mean, but they're both admirable guys. Ian Morris had a, had a really, really good job at Channel 4 and helped. Uh, he, we talk about this, he totally plays this down. So I'm, I'll say it. Because <laughs> he's not here to... Uh, He's not here for the intro bit. I'm cheating, really. But no, he he, he worked with and nurtured and uh, helped bring through the likes of Peter Kay, Jimmy Carr, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, and many, many more. But I think with Ian, he sort of had this... Him and Damon had this voracious thirst to, to go out on their own, and they set up a, a production company called Bwark, um, they then gave birth to the Inbetweeners, which it was more than a TV show. It was a, the Inbetweeners was a show, and again I put this to them. It was a show that we could all relate to because school life hadn't always been accurately portrayed on the the, the big and, and small screen. Certainly, think of like the American high school comedies where this is almost a Kevin Bridges bit, but the, you know the the quarterback would be called Chad, and they'd be house parties and all of that whereas the in-between has successfully a much better job of portraying what school was really like uh, and their new show the first team i've absolutely mullered it this weekend which is tricky when you've got a wife and two kids on lockdown but uh it, it's 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 vintage morris and beasley great characters terrific premise 
lots of great set pieces. The, it sounds like it sounds, this sounds like sponsored content. It, it's not, but these guys, these guys uh, mean a great deal to me. Um, so many performances that that, that really pop. I, I won't single people out. Um, but if you're in need of lockdown escapism and a good laugh, then every episode of the first team is on iPlayer now. And one of the reasons why I love this show is because I was a sports writer for 10 years. Footballers don't always get a fair crack of the whip, in my in my opinion. Obviously, the, the, there are lots of examples where footballers haven't exactly covered themselves in glory. I think that's it diplomatically. Um, and I do know that Ian and Damon... They did a lot of homework. They met with real footballers, real ex-footballers, managers and so on to really try pop the bonnet on what the world of football and footballers was really like. And they've successfully done that. So I, as you can probably tell, I love this show. Uh, I've known, I don't know Damon that well. I've, I know Ian a bit better, but I've known these guys for a long time. Uh, I've known Ian, crikey. I think it's coming up to 20 years. Certainly, uh, it is, you know, it's nearly 20 years. Uh, anyway, I, I, oh my gosh, I've talked for four minutes. I could, I could, I could easily do another 10 minutes easily on, uh, on Ian and Damon, but I, I'll spare you that. But, uh, listen, if you like me and you love IMDB, go on there, check out what Ian and Damon have achieved. Uh, something we talk about in this chat, if, if I can sum up the impact of the in-betweeners, uh, I did some work on a film called The Festival and uh, Joe Thomas, one of the in-betweeners, was the star of The Festival and I had to get him onto the main stage at the Leeds Festival. So it's something to something like sixty to 70,000 people. And Joe and I were, as you can imagine, quite nervous before going on stage. You know, sixty to 70,000 people. You know, it's uh, not many people get to perform to, to such a number. Anyway, so I go on, do a bit of business. And I get Joe on and the reaction from the crowd, the euphoria, uh, you, you, it was unfathomable. And Joe is a, is a modest lad. Uh, and, he, you know, even he was like, you know, wow. Uh, and I just thought that said everything about the, the power of that show. They could not have been that that crowd could not have been more thrilled to see him. I can't think of a person on the planet who would have got the same ovation that Joe Thomas got at that particular moment. And uh, not that the Inbetweeners guys needed any sort of confirmation as to the impact of that show, but I just thought in the space of those minutes, it was like, wow, talk about a piece of work that has that has cut through and had an impact. Um, anyway, every six minutes, unbelievable. Uh, every episode of the first team is available to watch on iPlayer now. It's wonderful. It's beautifully made. It, as I say in this chat, I don't put it across very diplomatically, unfortunately. Uh, it looks amazing. <laughs> I try and make the point that the cinematography in the show is incredible. And I end up saying something like, it looks so much different to your other work. And they must have thought, yeah, thanks, mate. But what I mean by that is, is that on top of the writing and the performances and so on, then the, the, the photography really uh, shines. It's like I'm doing this on purpose now. It's like I'm talking trying to talk for as long as possible. Uh, uh, this was not my intention. Uh, but I love this show and I love these guys. Anyway, here they are, the wonderful Ian and Damon. As you both know, I'm such a, I'm, I'm such a not just a football fan, but a footballer apologist. That's a phrase I, I used to you before, Ian. I, I think, because I've got to know a lot of footballers down the years, I think they're, on the whole, just lovely 
they're just lovely blokes. And so to see a show that is sympathetically written, seeing it from their point of view, putting across that these are just good lads who happen to be exceptional at football. Uh, I, I do think you have a lot of football fans saying to the both of you, thank you so much for making this show. Was that was that part of the, the thinking with it? No. I, I think we wanted to bring it out. That's what we, well, no, but that's what we thought was interesting about footballers yeah. was, uh, you know, there's, they have a lot of these kind of attributes are sort of bestowed upon them by the public that what they should be and and the reality is they're no different in many ways they're simpler folk than most because they just love playing football with their mates they got really good at it and it's been very rewarding and what happens with footballers is they tend to go on this arc because they they come into a football club at a young age they sink or swim they have all this scrutiny it drives them mad or they survive it and if they get good guidance you know they come out the other side and they've come out as like fantastic blokes at the end of it. You know, I always think of David Beckham at the beginning of his career when he was sort of public enemy number one. And now he's almost a national treasure. And I think that's having good people around you. Um, it's not something I think probably would have happened to him if he didn't have football in his life or he didn't play at that level. So it's just yeah. really, it's fascinating. I think there's a lot of positive that comes out of the, you know, it's just a, it's just that double-edged sword thing, isn't it? It, it can it can make you or or it can break you. And actually, there's there's so many cases of it breaking, you know, young men put into the spotlight like that. that um, yeah, it was fun for us to write about the ones that sort of you know navigate through it. And you, I mean, you you were you reached out to a lot of people in football as well, didn't you? How how invaluable was that? Invaluable. It was. It, was, it would have been possible to do it without. It was really because again, I think when we talked about doing the in betweeners, which we also made in case anyone's not mentioned it, we um, we we you know we knew the smell of suburbia. Do you know what I mean? Like suburbia was our thing. We grew up there. We knew it off by heart. Like it was like everything about suburbia. We couldn't get that wrong because that was us. And football, you know, we knew from a fan's perspective. And so we were kind of cocky and we were like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we've been watching football for years and I worked on a football TV programme for years. And, you know, I was like, I've got sure, this. Sure, yeah. So, but we thought, well, let's just, let's just talk as many people as we can just to be thorough with our research. And when we did that, we actually found the world was quite different than, than what we thought. And so the more, you know, the more we spoke to people, the more people we had to speak to in a way because we wanted to get it absolutely right. See you later, David. Oh, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> And yeah, so that was it really. It was just kind of like, it was, yeah, it was, um, yeah, I mean, we, we got, we, I, I, it started because I was sat next to a footballer on a plane 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and I couldn't believe his life was so much different from what I thought it would be. And he was brilliant laugh and such a great bloke. And then I came back and told Damon and we sort of, it was like just after series two of the Inbetweeners and we didn't know if we were doing any more. And so we were like, well, we're quite good at writing about men. We like the idea of writing about young men. We thought we could maybe write about slightly older men. And then we think about workplace environment and, you know, that sort of male workplace environment. And football seemed like a really good male workplace environment. So, you know, then, our, then after that, we met Matty Lawrence a few years later. And Matty was really, really helpful and uh, gave us a kind of ex-pros perspective. And he knew people and talked about clubs and stuff. And then, you know, through other people we knew and stuff we got talking to a lot of other current players and current managers and chairmen and ex-players and club doctors and kit men and everything really and so we just tried to I mean again there's bits of it I kind of wish we'd had a current Premier League footballer on set because I think there are a bit there are times the design and stuff like that where we we're a bit like oh I think that's right you know I think that's okay and it's things like that I think we didn't with suburbia we knew we got right I think there's bits like that I'd like to think 
I wish we had somebody there, you know, telling us. But what we, but you know, we shot it in Premier League clubs' changing rooms and at first level uh, training complexes and stuff like that. So, so what you see is what it looks like. I mean, that is what people go. May I just say this is this is maybe a bit too niche, but um, the show looks beautiful. I mean, it, it looks like a Christopher Nolan movie. Well, I'm um, can you just can you just say a bit about that? Because I mean, that really the visual style really pops. So uh, I don't, you know, what what was the what was the process there? Because it look it looks so different to your other work. How dare you? How dare you? Hang on, hang on. Yeah. Not a dig at We've the other We've got better. Uh, that's it. Uh, <laughs> only comedians, only people working in comedy would would twist that and take that as a as a insult. I apologise profusely, but you know, you know what I mean. I could imagine watching that on the big screen. That's that, that. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, we. I think we wanted the ambition was for it to give it a sense of scale, really. To you know, because of the subject matter, we're talking about elite level sports and privilege and showing you something you know, a peek behind the curtain of that. And so it needed to, you know, have a visual style that matched that. And I think we, you know, I think the obvious, on, most honest answer we can give you is we have a brilliant director of photography called Simon Tindall. Who, so uh, I think he mostly does feature films. He did the festivals. Yeah. So basically, he, I think he brought a kind of feature film aesthetic to, to the show. Even yeah. when we, even when we tried we to... Also, we were, you know, a lot of the things that we were watching at the time were influenced by... You know, we were watching a lot of Netflix shows, Last Chance You, and then the HBO show Succession. And, you know, think again, shows that deal with privilege, I think. And, uh, yeah. and we, you know, we, we were just influenced by a lot of things. So, yeah, it was just, a, I mean, that was just a conscious effort to, to give it a bit of, you know, Premier, Premier League gloss, I guess. Yeah, because I think that's the thing is we felt like Succession was mentioned a lot because um, Damon likes it a lot. And it was, I'm, I'm quite a fan. But it was, um, it was one of those things where we, it, it, you love the characters, but the backdrop does look great. Whenever you know, they're always in helicopters or great cars or huge views of New York and stuff like that. And, that, and you don't really think about that, but it kind of does affect you. Go, oh, I get what this world is. And I think that was kind of the point about you know the car park in our thing. We spent quite a lot of money on cars that no one ever drives, just to sit. There's quite a lot of Porsches in that car park that just yeah. sit there, just so that and, you, and they're never mentioned, but just so that you get the idea of like, oh, okay. And, and similarly. You know, when we the training complex where we shot a lot of stuff is a real high level complex and it's the top level complex. And that grass, you kind of can't, you couldn't make, you couldn't build something on Hackney Marshes and then get that grass right. That grass looks like that because people spend hours every single day working on that grass. And, and that is the kind of things that we wanted to make sure it felt it looked nice. Make, make sure it felt it looked nice. That's right, Damon, isn't it? That was what we had written on uh, post it notes <laughs> all over our trailer. I think, you know, your love of football uh, shines through. May I ask, uh, who, who are your all-time footballing heroes? I mean, I asked that question to someone who had posters of John Barnes on his wall, you know, someone who I idolised. Okay. Who are the guys who you uh, looked up to? Bergkamp, I think. I think I, 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 to be honest, I think, like, as a, my ultimate footballer is probably Dennis Bergkamp, because he was just fantastic. And mine are very Arsenal-based, by the way, because I don't really like other players. Have you watched 89 yet? Oh, do you know I've got it to watch this. It's down hey, there. During this during lockdown, I'm getting up at five. This is such information. I get up at five o'clock every morning, so I've got two hours to myself before the girls wake up. And that's so that's what the time when I watch, so I watched it this morning. I'm not an Arsenal fan. I, no. I fucking loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Have you seen the four year plan, the QPR documentary? Oh mate, now that's another level. <laughs> he's not. He's still not seen it. It's I have seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, oh, yeah, brilliant. Wow, that's. 
that's ten out of ten, isn't it? I mean, I think as a as a heart, I'm a quarter Italian. My dad's half Italian, so <laughs> I find the uh, the, the Italian. The Italian slurs are hard to take, but they're all fairly accurate. I get crazy those like that. But yeah, I'd say so. Bergkamp would be like he's the best footballer technically, and Thierry Henry is the like one that could. He was the best kid in the playground. You know what I mean? I've never seen anyone in Premier League level for a long time come in and do that. Just could walk through them all and score. We get that a bit now, don't we? And then, but Ian Wright's my as, as like the one I'd most like to have a drink with would be Ian Wright, definitely because. I had Ian Wright on this podcast and I cried at least twice. <laughs> oh, did you have you ever seen that? Sh- that uh, he did a documentary with a, where just him talking black and white about his career and his life. That is one of the most moving things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's, I mean, I do. I just absolutely love him. His love for the game and his enthusiasm is just so catching. But he's also, I tell you, why I love him is just because he's just like a he's a pre-internet troll as well, isn't he? I mean, he was. I once saw him playing in a Masters tournament five aside, and it was very sedate, and everyone there was like the families and watching it. And he came out, and it was against Tot- the game against Tottenham. He went absolutely crazy, yeah. uh, and about four Tottenham fans who were taking it very seriously. And everyone was like, "Come on, mate, it's not that serious." <laughs> and at one point, he scored, and he went over to where they were, sat about five foot behind his perspex screen, jumped up, grabbed hold of it. And was just resting yeah. in their faces. And then when he won the top scorer award at the end of the night, he just uh, stood there and just like an impromptu sort of um, debagged himself, just pulled his trousers down and stood in the middle in his pants, a bit like covering their kids' eyes. He must have been about forty-eight at the time. Yeah, it was brilliant. He just, he just, he can't help himself. He just loves it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's great. How, how about yourself, Ian? Um, well, I don't know. I think probably. Somewhere between uh, Les Ferdinand and Kevin Gallen. I was a huge Kevin Gallen fan for many years. Um, but weirdly, on, when, I was, when I was at university, I had three, four pictures on my wall. I had a picture of Lloyd Cole. I had a picture of uh, a, Goodfe- a Goodfellas poster. Yeah. I had a picture of um, Harry Enfield. I had a picture of Gary Lineker. Because it, it was, and I don't know quite why, I think it was like a really like a sort of arty shot of football in. Really. I think it was one of those things I was trying to explain to the, all the many visitors to my bedroom, which was zero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was trying to basically explain my personality in four posters. And literally, I think looking back on it, no, but no, in that first year, not a single person who wasn't me went in that bedroom. So it was entirely wasted. But actually, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking growing up, you know, I, I, was a, I loved playing goal. Um, and I think... I really liked Chris Woods. Chris Woods was my favourite goalkeeper growing up and uh, I thought he deserved more of a run than Shilton did. So Chris Woods. And then, I, and then weirdly, I had a thing for, um, again, as a kid, I had a thing for uh, Graeme Souness because my, my yeah. family, most of my family is Scottish. And so between sort of 78 and 86, Scotland were generally a better football team than England. And so I, I was very much uh, a Scotland fan, which I sort of remain to this day internationally more of a Scotland fan than England fan. And, um, you know, to the point where I remember in 96, when England were 4 0 up against Holland, basically, if it stayed at 4 0, Scotland would have qualified. That's right. Because uh, <laughs> Holland scored that last goal, uh, Scotland, because, yeah, Scotland got knocked out. So, um, yeah, so I guess, but I think my, my all time favourite probably, it probably would be, yeah, I think probably Les Ferdinand, thinking about it. I mean, I'd love to be, I met, I mean, working on Fantasy Football League, I met loads of people like, you know, Roger Miller and Mario Kempes and people like that from, Great World Cups, but yeah, I think Chris Woods. I mean, I like Shilton. Chris Woods, you know, 
don't know really. I mean, I, again, I don't, yeah. What were yours, James? As a, as, a, as a kid, it was it was absolutely John Barnes. I was I was just obsessed with the guy, and then I warmed up on that I warmed up on that Amazon Prime show back of the net, and he was a guest. And uh, I told John Bishop, I, I said, I said, I've got no idea what hero this guy is to me. This was after the show because uh, I warmed up on a couple of other things that John was on, and I just didn't have the courage to tell him that I I, I loved him. And then John Bishop, being John Bishop, like literally grabbed me and. Told, told Barnes what I just said, and uh, we, I'm nearly like crying at the memory of it. <laughs> we had our picture taken with each other, but I mean, I was like almost, uh, I was like, I was shaking, like, you know, uh, it was like Beatlemania, that sort of thing. Yeah. The reason why I put my head in my hands as well, Ian, when you said that about summing up your personality with pictures, so we're doing that, we're doing always be comedy online, and it's almost oh, yeah. like superstition, and I have to put a different picture up before each show. Yeah, yeah. Why? It's insane. Yeah, show it off. I think that's what I'm doing here with it with these uh, by selecting these specific pictures. It's like my washing in the background there. It's like my, what I realised my wife said to washing and my t-shirts in the background. It doesn't make me look very good. So I'm I think you've gone to get some emotional pictures. Yeah, I do. Uh, so. I've, got picture, I've got a picture of me and my mum. That's what I've got there. That's oh, my day. Oh, brilliant. Me and Patsy. Incredible. Just to remind me to do my work, not get above oh. myself, not get above my station. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow smoke in in I'll, I'll do it separately, but I'll blow smoke in in your in your direction, Ian and Damon. But Ian, first of all, a lot of yeah. people won't realise. Uh, I mean, you are such a to me, you're you're, you're such a a John Lloydian figure in 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 comedy, and what you me as a comedy anorak, a lifelong anorak. So what you mean to me comedically, the the, the people who yeah. you personally helped break. Uh, could you just say a little bit? I know I, I, I know I've turned this into this is your life, but um, you know your DNA is felt throughout. Yeah. Finally, I'm getting the recognition. Finally, I think you've got the wrong guy. I don't think I've. I tell you what, I was a I was a really when I was too young to be a stand up. I did a bit of stand up. I got paid a little bit, but not much. And I love the world and I love the people and I still love stand-up dearly. And I gave up because I was like, I'm never going to be anything. Mate, I'm still waiting for the comeback. I know, it's coming. I've really, it. You missed it. It was in Edinburgh, wasn't it? In oh, I did, well, that was 15 years ago. But no, James has offered me a, an open spot at um, Always Be Comedy, which I've, I have written, to be fair. I have written it. I've, re- I've rewritten it four times now. But, um, you know, basically, and I thought to myself, the thing is, I think, you know, hanging around comedians, being around, I think I know what, is funny and what works for people, what material works for people, what things people, things people do well, but I don't think I can do it myself. And so really all I've done is kind of hang on the coattails of people. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I thought were funny. And that isn't that hard to do. And then what happens is people, the rest of the world <laughs> realizes that they're funny. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I was there at the beginning. You're like, yeah, well, but he didn't. I'm not sure what you did apart from hang around them and say that they were, they were funny. So I, I'm probably a, at best a handmaiden. I wouldn't say I've broken. That's the most wonderfully British answer that we could all have hoped for. But we are talking about, you know, Peter Kay, Ricky Gervais, Peep Show, Stephen yeah, Merchant. I mean- well, I worked at Channel 4. I mean, so Peter, I don't think I can claim any credit for Peter. I, I did work on Phoenix Nights and stuff, but that was, you know, you'd be an idiot not to make that show. Um, Jimmy, I worked, directed Jimmy's first stand-up show, but again, that was like a sort of working with a force of nature. Really. So just giving him a few pointers and hints and, and sort of the same with Gervais. Me and Damon both worked with Gervais at the same time on the 11 o'clock show. And, you know, seeing him, seeing him do his first bit of stand-up was quite interesting because that was a bit of the stuff that he used was some stuff that I used to do, which I knew was good, but which always died and always died. And then I saw him basically get a standing ovation at the amused moose for the same bit of material. And that was when it comes down to like, you know, you've either got something that audiences want to like or you don't. And I don't think I do. Unfortunately, I think I'm turns out quite unlikable for audiences. <laughs> uh, slightly, slightly heartbreakingly. So that was... I'm going to do a mine. So, so, so apologies to the listeners, but it was it was this routine, wasn't it? With the uh, was it a Daddy Long Legs? I don't know. I'm not going. I'm not. I can't remember really. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then um, and then Damon. I mean, I'm sort of living vicariously through you. So you were a journalist who then made the jump. No, to... first he sold bags and suitcases. Yeah, that makes it sound like I was some sort of snake oil. Oh, there was, was no charm involved. Then he was a journalist. The journalism, <laughs> the journalism, I think, I think that's completely right. I think you're allowed to put inverted commas around that, Ian, because I, I used to edit trade magazines for building, uh, pub, you know, building trade magazines, so things like glass and glazing, Glass and glazing products, glass and glazing products. Glass and glazing products. building products, window trade news. Uh, 
I'm going to trade years. When you, you, were the, you were the Piers Morgan, though. You were really young when you were doing it. You were like the Piers oh, Morgan. Oh, yeah, I was in the total uh, camp as well. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> so, right, I'd go in there and start putting the world to rights. Wouldn't let people answer questions. Although, I've got to say, annoyingly, Piers Morgan during this whole pandemic thing is sort of one of the few journalists okay, who's not asking the questions. You're like, oh, this is making me feel one uneasy. What I've got some sort of positive sort of feeling towards Morgan at the moment. You were, but you were a young, you were a young, high flying editor of magazines. Very, very high flying. Um, I had my own. I'm trying to think now. I got to a you point where I had a company car. What? I had a no. company car. I, I think I got the coach to work. No, I got a company. I got I, you know to start with. Then eventually, I got the Rover. So Rover. I had a Rover, mate. That was, that was a sweet little number that the Rover. How old were you when they gave you the company car? Well, I stopped doing it when I was 24, I think. Yeah, see, whiz kid. God, you were young. But then, so, so Damon, you, you know, you had, a, you had a steady job. Ian, you, you know, obviously, uh, you had that, that job at Channel 4. So, again, what you did was so genuinely inspiring. For you to make that leap uh, and do what you did with, uh, with Boark and the in-betweeners, what, what was that like? Because there must have been, a, obviously, there must have been a huge temptation to not make that leap. Well, I think we were quite far into our TV careers when we started the company. So, I mean, yeah. at that point, we were both smart enough to look around and go, there are only a handful of brilliant comedy producers who are working today who are over 30. Yeah. And, you know, you could just see it's kind of an industry that, you know, eats up energy and people move on and some don't make it and kind of the idea you know you'd have to be very lucky to be doing that or you know in, into your sort of 50s and keep going and you have to be very very talented um and we obviously didn't really back ourselves to do that we thought we better start a production company because uh we're good at we're good at i think we we both thought well we're quite good uh you know finding new talent or working with talent we really enjoy it i guess rather than we're good at it that's what we wanted to do um, and, uh, you know, we were getting to that point in our lives where we were just thinking, we're not really fit for any other purpose now. We're getting old. So, you know, who wants a couple of sort of, you know, trapped adolescents who've got a talent for sort of pure <laughs> filth to come and work in their office? So that was, I mean, that really was it, wasn't it? We were yeah. friends. It was, yeah. The timing was right. I think we were quite depressed about way our careers. I was pretty depressed. Yeah, we, yeah, I was pretty depressed. I mean, I've been actually crying on the steps of the church in Smith Square with my boss, Caroline. And she was like, yeah, you should probably leave Channel 4, shouldn't you? I was like, <laughs> weird, isn't it? a bit weird, 30-year-old man crying yeah. on the steps of a thing. of Also, with a job that I think most people, and yeah. even I would consider, a very good job. I'd like to add, it's nothing to do with Channel 4, by the way. The reason he was crying is certainly is... Disaster, the car crash of a personal life, I'd have thought. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was, a, it was certainly a bit of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think, I think it was one of those things where I felt like, it, I think, you know, we, I, we didn't really pay ourselves and we didn't have any money. And I, I was, you know, relying on the help of friends and sleeping on friends' floors and their spare rooms and stuff like that. You know, we were really, I was really broke. And it was one of those things, but, I kind of had that feeling of thinking I'd rather... And in between the script, we wrote, you know, just to scratch an itch, really. I didn't think we think we thought it would be any good. We just thought it's better to do it and fail than to die not knowing. You know, we were like, it's better to give it a go. And it was the same with the company, really. We were like, let's give it a go. And if it goes tits up, then at least we've tried and we'll know, rather than going, oh, you know what we should have done? We should have done that thing. Particularly yeah. at a time when we were kind of like... I remember, though... I do remember, we, we, you know, Damon was living with someone. We weren't like, 
we didn't have any real commitments or anything. I, I certainly didn't. And um, I do she's remember my wife now, by the way. So she's yeah. <laughs> no, with someone else, and that, and that other woman you were living with. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And we were, but we did. I remember when Joe. I remember when Damon telling me. I remember really clearly where we were when because we we hadn't even made the pilot in between us. And Damon said to me, oh, "I just got a bit of news actually. Nicole's pregnant." And I was like, "Okay, well, this would uh, this is a better work than it because otherwise, okay." So I remember that pressure. But apart from that, we were no, quite. I think, you know, I think, yeah, I think I still stand by that. But basically, it's better to it's better to try and fail than it is to die not knowing. I think you know because again, that's what I suppose that's what I felt from my stand up thing. I still feel a bit like I kind of in my in my most vain moments I think to myself you know what you could have you should have given this a go really because maybe you could be I'd actually and in my more sober moments I'm like you weren't very good at it and you would have been an absolutely okay stand up and you'd have hated yourself and you would have had no life because you've been working every night you're also you're too lazy to be a really good stand up um so yeah so I think that that drove it a bit was like let's not let's not do another thing where I say I could have been a contender rather than trying I mean, and then, you know, and then, um, I think, that, I mean, speaking for myself here, but I, and I'm speaking for millions of others, with the in-betweeners, because, you know, when I was at school, that, you know, that, that was who I was. I wasn't Zach Morris getting off with cheerleaders. I was, I was, you know, I could relate to, to all those characters. And I don't think I'd ever seen anything on TV that, that gave such an honest portrayal of what school life and adolescence was really like. You know, we were, it wasn't, uh, heroic cake parties and that sort of thing. Um, when did you realise that you had more than just a, a hit show on your hand? When you when you you realised that you'd really cut through with something special? Oh, it's difficult to know, isn't it? I mean, there's obviously a tipping point. You know, you know, you can go back and think, oh, I I know when it started to sort of blow up in terms of audience numbers. But I guess when people, I think what I remember was. I'd never, I'd worked on a few, yeah, a few comedy shows in my career and never really had anyone ever gone out of their way to say, I really enjoyed, I'm talking about close, like family and friends as well as just members. Of the <laughs> say, oh, the show was great last night. I watched the show, the show was good. And most of the time people would say, yeah, I watched the sh- that show. I, was all right. I would have probably done that a bit. You know, people just in general, everything I've ever worked on, people have always I think it's very natural, you know, but everyone just, I don't think it's mean. It's just the sort of natural response human thing to just sort of like criticise a little bit. I've, I've just noticed that. And I've always thought, well, I've never really hung out for praise, you know, because I just thought a lot of people don't naturally want to do that because they feel a bit awkward. And I think with that, with the in-betweeners, it gets to a point after the second season where Ian and I might get a cab to Channel 4 from the office and the cab driver go, where are you going in Channel 4? Oh, yeah, what, what, are you doing? what are you doing there? And we'd say, oh, we just did this thing. We're doing this show. Oh yeah, well I know it. We go now. It's on E4. What is it? It's, uh, it's about these school kids. What the in betweeners? And so suddenly, that, I think that was the first time I started oh. to notice when, when you know, strangers were saying, "Oh, I, I, I love that show." And then when anyone would ever met, whenever I'd go anywhere and they'd say, "Oh, what are you doing?" And so we're doing the show, the in betweeners. People would just, you know, un, unsolicited really be positive and nice about it all the time. And to the extent that I was taken aback, I just thought it's very unusual. And I knew it was unusual in television, not that I'm just a kiss of death and I just made shit shows. Because <laughs> uh, I think, you know, some of the shows aren't being quite successful. So it was, it was really weird to hear that. It was the first time I'd ever heard that about anything I'd worked on. And I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe this is something unique for us. I remember, um, I remember the two moments for me. One was like, we... 
when we were making the first film, our assistant, well, the, the, one of the runners on it was a guy called James Vardy. He's a very nice guy. He was out in uh, Crete, we met him in Crete, maybe. Jamie and then he came, back, he came back and he worked for us for a bit as our assistant in London. And um, I remember one time, he just, he just sort of started, James. We, but we'd known him for six months, though. And yeah. at one point, we were going somewhere, he went, how does it feel to have changed the way young people speak? And I was like, what? And he went, well, they're just like all my friends. Everyone speaks, everyone's like, talks like, say, use words from in between. So I was like, and I remember just being totally dumbstruck and thinking, oh, okay, I didn't really, because people don't tend to do the catchphrases to us. So you don't tend to get an idea of how it's going. And I think that was the first time I was like, oh, this is like a bigger thing than just, it had some viewing figures and people liked it. This has got a kind of, there's there's a kind of ownership people have taken of it and it's got a life of its own outside of what, you know, all art, art has a, you know, life, you put it out there and it becomes something that you don't expect it to be. But this had, it felt like there was something like, oh shit, this is, this has taken on a, a different life. And again, it's, I can't, think of anything bad about that it's great i love it particularly being the writers it's, you know poor old jay thomas gets hassled the whole time everywhere he goes but we can quite happily stroll through life without anybody bothering us until we they praise us for doing the in between us and that's it and if you're not if you're in a situation where you feel like you're, you're not <laughs> attention you can always drop the in between us bomb I, yeah i had a really good one once on the on the phone with uh, sky actually where we were removing my Terribly, I said, I don't listen. Um, I'm trying to get. I need the show because I work in TV. Actually, they're like, oh right, yeah. What do you do? I said, well, I make. Listen, I don't want to. I don't want to mention it, but um, I make a show called The In Between Us. And the guys like, I don't, I, haven't, I don't know it. <laughs> like, okay, uh, fly the cold cards. Like, I was like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Um, have you have you seen Joe's uh, recent stand-up? I have. I love it. He's hilarious. Oh my god. The bit about the video diary. Oh, I haven't seen that bit. He did always be comedy just before the uh, lockdown. He did. Yes, oh, right. I like, I'm not, we're not that up to speed with it, no. Oh, so, I mean, so about it. I mean, again, he's got no, he's got no self-confidence. I, cause he did it, I saw him do it a year ago and I've been speaking to him about it since because we live close to each other in London. And it's brilliant. He's so funny. I think he's got such a future in that because I think he's so funny as himself, Joe. You know. I'm glad it's good. I'll tell him. I'll tell him you liked it because he's really. Oh, I told him. I told him at the time it was. It was wonderful. Yeah. You're right. You're done. Okay. So it's my wife. Uh... Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi there. Sorry, <laughs> I'm playing an iPad for a child. Yeah. Uh, it's well Sorry. protected. I like the case. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do I? Do you have? A, do you have an interview now? Or have, or... Yeah, we have. I'm afraid, James. We take up your time mucking about. Sorry. No, no, I'm, I'm you can, sorry. You can go for a couple of minutes if you want, just because okay, I'm told oh. the next one will be a five minutes late. That's okay. Sorry, She's I can't apologise enough. Um, well, then, I, I guess to return back to uh, the first team, is is the hope with this? Uh, is the hope with this that, that, that this this is a show that can run and run and run? I imagine. Oh yeah, <laughs> for us. But then, um, yeah, I guess so because you can. You know, you can follow that. those characters, the main characters, they have probably got, you know, quite a few more seasons left in them. And the joy of it, as we always used to threaten the cast, is if, you know, if they make any outrageous wage demands or anything, we just sell them. We just sell them in, in the close season, you know, and just yeah. bring in someone else on lower wages. It's fantastic. I feel like yeah. Simon Gordon. 
Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, what's really heartbreaking about it is that I really love those three actors and we spent a lot of time looking for those people. But there's a storyline that kept coming back in our research, which was that when you're young, when you're a young player, you make really good mates early on and then scatter to the winds and then you're just gone, you know, and, and your, yeah. your best mates are kind of gone. So sometimes abroad, sometimes hundreds of miles away, you know, and you just don't see them anymore. And, and then, you know, and the, and the playing FIFA online or playing, uh, you know, Call of Duty online with a headset is a way to keep connected to your friends who you met. You know, they're the equivalent of your sort of school friends or university friends, these young footballers. But that isn't great for comedy, really, is to scatter your cast to the different cities. Oh. So, um, but yeah, but apart from that, I think we'd like to, I think we'd like to keep going on it, try and make some more. I mean, we haven't got any other ideas yet, so we better get on with that, really. Yeah, I mean, Jake Shaw. There's a bit of um, there's a bit of Jack Lemmon about him, isn't there? Oh, that's really funny, Jake. But he's brilliant. Oh yeah, I don't know much about Jello. Do you know he reminds me um, of uh, Jason Bateman quite a lot? Well, you know what? Comedy style. I, mean, I would say that I would say that Bateman is the new, is the new Lemon. You know, um, yeah, I mean, Jack Lemmon is like the highest praise I can give. Yeah. Any. Comedy actor, oh, I'm glad you like Jake. I, I think Jake is phenomenal. I think it's also that part was quite underwritten. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> like, it wasn't. He wasn't getting the best lines. He wasn't getting the best things to do. And I think what Jake did with it was really, really, really brilliant. And really, we were so. I mean, I was, there were times when I, was, when I was watching them, and I was like, God, I'm happy we've got this cast. And and Shaquille as well. I mean, Jack's great. I mean, Jack's done lots of stuff, and Jack is is brilliant. I think. And again, quite a hard part. Hard. Again, I don't know why we did it. We sort of chose to write a shy character <laughs> like oh guess what here's, here's what's good for a comedy a character who is shy <laughs> therefore he's not driving the comedy he's not really doing anything he's sort of reacting in a weird way an inward way to everything but and Shaquille you know but yeah I think I'm glad you like Jake I think we were really really lucky with Jake actually I mean if I'm honest with you I mean I could I, I could have picked anyone out I mean every, everyone really pops that's one of your great strengths is uh unearthing this talent and basically gifting them to the world so uh yeah. Just huge congrats, uh, as always. Actually, what, what, the one thing I was going to say earlier with the in-betweeners, I mean, remember the that scene at the festival at the... Uh, Joe and I did the did the warm-up with the crowd. Yeah. I think what really rammed home the impact of the in-betweeners is... I was speaking to Ed Gamble about this the other night. Obama would not have got the... And I mean this. <laughs> Obama would not have got the same ovation that, that Joe Thomas got because yeah. obviously when, when in-betweeners was on, that whole crowd would have been teenagers and now they're in the 20s. So when Joe walked on, I mean, it was it was astonishing, wasn't it? And that's, that that probably was was further proof, if it were needed, of uh, the impact of this of this show. That's a strange weekend. Like, you know, I can't even remember. I can remember so little about that weekend. I really can't. I can't remember all. I can't remember all. I remember Joe going on. You and Joe going on. And I remember it was, it was supposed to be nighttime and it ended up being daytime. But apart from that, I can remember almost nothing. I can't remember where we stayed. I can't remember getting there. I can't remember anything. Isn't that weird? I can, I can, I must, have, I must say I can remember every moment of every moment. Great, great job. I'm have to, i to edit this bit out, but uh, <laughs> I don't upset, I don't upset her. But uh, the, I can't remember her name, the producer. So Joe, Joe yeah. and I were, you know, as you can imagine, get ourselves psyched up and you know trying not to be physically sick, and we just got our head around the fact that you know what we were going to do. And then she came over and she's, I will have to edit this out because I feel terrible. But she goes. Uh, Guys, just so you know, um, feel free to just walk off if you get bottled off with piss. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe and I said to each other, didn't know that was an option. 
Look, I, I, I cannot, I can't thank you enough, not just for the chat, but for absolutely everything. Ian, I mean, you, you, I know I said this to you a lot, but you, you know, you, uh, you changed my life. You know, uh, so Ian, Ian and I were out nearly, it was over nine years ago, and you said you need to gig more, and the only way I could gig more was by stopping drinking. So I, I've been sober for more than nine years, purely off the back of what you said. Wow. Hey, James, you changed your life, not me, mate. Oh. Yeah, no, nothing to do with me. Cue the Golden Girls theme tune. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> uh, bless you guys, and huge yeah. congrats to the show. It's you know it's it's just wonderful. So uh, thank you. So you. Hope to see you again in the flesh soon. All right. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Cheers, guys. Bless all you. Right. Huge and heartfelt thanks to, uh, to Ian and Damon and all the people who made that happen. Uh, it was lovely to see them again, albeit over Zoom, and uh, really interesting to. To chat with two iconic figures in uh, in British comedy. If you do watch it, your boy from Horseworth Leeds is in episode five. I'll explain. I was a sports writer. Hang on a minute. Can we get all defensive? I've been on the comedy circuit for more than ten years. I've been a journalist for more than twenty, and I was a sports writer for ten years. And so uh, when the when I heard about the show, I did drop Ian a text. If you need a guy to be a sports reporter, I know a guy. Uh, and then jump cuts to filming an actual scene in a sitcom. First time, I think I can safely say it's the first time I've ever been in a sitcom. Yeah. Uh, so thank thank you to, to Ian and Damon. As always, you would be doing us a, a huge solid. Uh, if you can share the episode, tell your friends, spread the word. Obviously, if you've not enjoyed it, just feel free to keep that to yourself. Uh, speak soon. Oh, if you want to work with Balance, drop the sales team a line. Sales at balance.media. If you want to drop me a line, podcast at balance.media. Thank you again uh, for everything to Ian and Damon. Take care, guys. Bye bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.